You're very welcome to the gardening programme on this uh, bank holiday, holiday weekend, yeah. Saturday morning, Mayo Day, Saturday morning, mm. and Pink Ribbon Day, Saturday <laughs> it morning. Sure is. There's Busy a weekend. lot happening today, isn't there? There is indeed. You worry me when you when you, when you said rather windy today because that's yeah. going to affect the cyclists out in their Pink Ribbon. And you are, of course, cycling. I'm going today. to give it a go. Anyway. Yeah. I'm going to try try a couple of miles anyway. But it's Pink Ribbon weekend, and of course, it's um, it's a it's a big celebration, uh, particularly in 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 Mayo and in Castlebar. The cyclists are going to be down going down through Bohol and Foxford and Pontoon and right through Ballina. So it's a, um, a, great, a great weekend. I think they're going to have 600 cyclists this weekend. That is Pink phenomenal River. altogether. Yeah. Is, that, is that the largest number? I, I think that the, the, every year it's in around it's that in around kind of that 550, figure. 600 yeah. people. So it's fantastic to see people out and about. And, and particularly, I suppose, that the weather is dry. It's going to be nice. But yeah. the wind as well is something we... And you don't want it too warm if you're doing a big long cycle. No, you, well, that's very... Yeah. That is very, very true. <laughs> so we look at all so the So we wish them all well. Yeah, we surely do. And I'm, I'm just saying, you know, maybe next year uh, might try and try, put it on the bucket list. And I keep you to that. Okay. I keep you to that. <laughs> and I just publicly I want to declared it now. Mentioned to my own staff, I have twenty of our own staff Brilliant. are actually cycling today. Yeah. So and we've we got, of course, Angelina and David. Angelina, that's as well. right. Yeah. So. so, looking forward to that. But of course, it's Maybank holiday, Deirdre. Busy time in the garden. We're really coming out of spring, I suppose, and into summer. And uh, what a spring we've had this year. I mean, plants have been really responding to the good weather. It's actually been a very, very dry April. Um, very, very little moisture and, and certainly for listeners that have been putting in trees and shrubs and hedging plants or pots outside, check them now because they're quite dry. The soil is quite dry. Um, so particularly for listeners that have planted over the last three to four weeks, do check the plants. And I, as I always say, water the soil, not the plants. So really give them a good heavy soaking. We are promised rain coming into Tuesday, Wednesday of next week, but still the, the ground is, 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 is quite dry, which is great from a planting point of mm. view because it's very workable. But at the same time, um, newly planted plants, certainly check them. Plants in containers, check them. Window boxes, that type of thing. Keep an eye on them, wash them, feed them. And, um, you know, the growth it, growth has started, but it's going to be very strong in the next couple of weeks. So as we kind of slip away from springtime, I mean, you'll see a lot of the magnolias are just going out of flower. Um, things like the berberus, I was looking at them on the way up this morning. They've been in flower for weeks now. And because the weather has been so calm and dry, plants have flowered longer than normal. The cherries have held their flowers a lot longer than, than other years. But as we come into to summer, we're thinking of things like hanging baskets. This is the time of year for planting them. Bedding plants in general, particularly the hardy ones like sweet peas and English marigolds and all the hardier plants that will tolerate a bit of frost. It's time to get those planted and particularly pots and containers, window boxes for summer colour. This is the time of year to start planting. And also for the whole cottage garden, the, the perennial things like lupins that will be coming into flower in June, and um, penstemons, all the, the summer flowering perennial plants that come year after year. This is the time to plant those. Mm. Fruit trees, it's nice to see the apples have come into flower and they're flowering excessively well this year. There's a huge amount of blossom on them this year. So that's going to set uh, set us up very nicely for a, a heavy harvest in the autumn. Bees are very active at the moment. And a lot of the, the ornamental trees, like the flowering malus, which help to pollinate apple trees, they're in full bloom at the moment. But it's also this... In, as we go into May, a very good time for planting fruit trees. So things like strawberries and blueberries, blackcurrants, all the common garden uh, soft fruit and top fruit, apples, pears and plums, can actually plant it at this time of year. Um, and one of the trees I generally feature is, is the Coronet range of apples. Mm. They're a breed of apple bred here in Ireland. Um, they come in a whole range of different varieties, but they're very compact and very easy to maintain and 
very little pruning, very little maintenance involved in them. So they're ideal for smaller to medium-sized garden or for growing fruit in pots or large tubs. So look for those, the cornet. They come in a family tree as well, which is a variety that has two different varieties, two eating varieties grafted onto the one tree. So perfect for a pot or a very small area um, or if you want to get, again, to get the children involved in growing a fruit tree, that's a great uh, variety, the family apple tree, because it literally pollinates itself. And it's in the coronet range. It's in the coronet range, yeah. So it's a nice dwarf, compact variety. Mm. Very easy to grow, very compact and ideal for tubs and containers. This is also the time, and particularly with the soil conditions at the moment, the sowing of new lawns. So for listeners that maybe are in new houses or doing an extension or want to extend the lawn area or re- indeed repair existing lawns, the germination of seed happen, happens very quickly at this time of year. So if you get lawn seed in in the next two to three weeks, it'll germinate within a, a, a 10 to 14 day period. And certainly the soil conditions at the moment are perfect for the sowing of new lawns, for tilling the soil, for getting the soil ready um, and for putting in the seed. Um, so again, if, if listeners are thinking about reseeding an area, putting in a new lawn, try and do it over the next couple of weeks because this is certainly the time. Uh, and again, the veg garden, the edible garden, uh, herbs. Again, this is the time we plant herbs. It's the time we plant all the edible crops, the lettuce, the Brussels sprouts, cabbage, um, spinach, radish. Mm. All of those can be sown both from seed now and from plants. Um, so this is the time of year really for getting all your vegetable plants planted. Roses, again, roses will start to flower about the middle of June and flower normally through to September, October. So a couple of things with roses. First, again, really good time to plant them and those that are planted this year will come into flower this summer but also for listeners that have roses in the garden do protect them I mentioned it last week a lot of green fly and I I actually noticed on my own bird feeders at the moment the birds have stopped feeding on the peanuts and the wild bird feed or they've certainly cut down because there's lots of insects Yeah, I, and available. I actually put out a few bits for, I see a few robins tipping around my own garden and I had, uh, you know, those dried worms. Oh yeah, the mealworms. Yeah, which worms. I think they're yeah, kind worms. of uh, quite fond of. And I noticed they actually didn't go, they, they weren't all gone in a day or anything no. like that. So, and that's it. Yeah. You, we've, and I said, oh God, they're not like them. And that's a sure sign that there's right. lots, so of, lots of caterpillars of around, there's Better lots of aphids available. around, which the, the birds are picking up on, but, but do keep an eye on your sensitive plants, particularly roses. I mentioned lupins last week, but those plants that put on very soft growth this time of year, the aphids and caterpillars love those. So just keep an eye on that and prevention is better than trying to cure the problem. So nip it in the bud if you see it. Weed control in general, again, we're going to see a burst of weeds beginning. Some of them are seeding at the moment. Lots of them are growing. So keep an eye on that. And again, you know, prevention a small bit of hoeing and, and um, tilling of the soil now in through shrub beds saves, saves a lot of problems later on in the summer in, in June and July. So kind of nip the, the, the weeds in the bud at this time of year. I see the mare's tail is back again, our old friend. We get mm. lots of questions about that. And again, this is the time. It's about five or six inches high at the moment. This is a good time of year to treat it. So there are specific treatments you can use for mare's tail. Um, it does spread very rapidly and it is advisable to keep it controlled because it will come up through tarmacadam or gravel or up through shrub borders or beds. Um, so where it's present, put some control, the SBK we get her or um, Neerdorf do one specifically for the uh, the mare's tail. Yeah. So they're the type of, of things that people can be doing. Still the, very much the sense of the sowing, the planting of plants, putting in new hedges and trees, fruit trees in particular, and the edible garden. This is You can still plant potatoes. I know we were asked a couple of weeks back. The edible this, garden. So the, the, the soil conditions are still perfect if you haven't put in your 
your spuds and they're sitting in the garage somewhere, get them in this weekend because the soil is so workable and that could change over the next couple of weeks. So try and get as much planting done over this weekend if you can or into the early part of next week. I think Monday's promise a very nice day, warmer temperatures. And I know next week is, I think Wednesday, Thursday is meant to be really, really good altogether. Yeah, and it, 20 degrees nearly. There is some rain coming but I think it's going to be very, very light. So I would re-emphasize that importance of watering plants and um, plants that have been put in two or three weeks ago give them a good heavy soaking and you're better to put the hose with a little sprinkler on for half an hour 20 minutes and water an area and move it along rather than just a, a, quick, a, quick, a quick dash a quick dash is no good <laughs> it's like a quick lick <laughs> with, the, with the face cloth it's no good <laughs> exactly so do water do keep an eye on plants new hedges new trees because people have been planting with the good weather during March and April and soil conditions are, are quite dry uh, so do water the soil. If you are putting in new plants, water them beforehand and plant them. And then, again, a couple of buckets of water around the base of the plant to, to water them well. Okay. So they're the kind of key things, really, that people can be doing. And certainly, you know, thinking about summer colour in particular, the, the petunias and all of that can be planted up now in baskets and containers and get them started. Okay, fantastic. Right, if you have a question for Porrick this morning, 087-900-4141 is our text with thanks to Corab Oil and if you're calling us 0818 3055. You mentioned about the pink ribbon plant, didn't you? I did, yes. Well, I was going to maybe... Oh, we'll go to no, 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 actually, no, we'll do it now. No, 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 because we, we, we talked about the pink ribbon plant last week we on the programme and I know, uh, I suppose that was something that y- you were doing in terms of supporting the whole Pink Ribbon cycle and the event today. Um, and I want to say good morning to Elizabeth this morning um, because she had purchased one during the weekend. Then she was asking me, because sometimes people think I know the answers, but we know I don't, Parks. I want to pass it on. Um, how often does one water it or how, what's the maintenance like on right, it? Right, so the Pink Ribbon plant is, is has lovely daisy-like flowers and um, that kind of a deep pink or purple. It's ideal for planting out of doors, so it's lovely in a pot or container, see, outside, outside the front door. You'd water it once a week at this time of year and feed it about every fortnight would be fine. Mm. Now, as we go through the summer, as the plant is flowering heavily and growing very strongly, you may water it twice a week. So as we get into the summer period, you'd increase the watering. But certainly once a week, a good heavy soaking once a week, feed it every fortnight. Keep deadheading the old flowers and it'll flower well into September for you. And it's a lovely way to mark pink ribbon. Not everybody can cycle or get out no. or, yeah. or you know, so it's a, it's a good way to mark the occasion as well. Okay, and they're still available, the pink ribbon plants? They are indeed, yeah. They're still available in the centre for the next okay. next week or 10 days anyway. Okay. Porrick, after completing an extension and wants to block off or screen some ground floor windows, I'd like some instant hedging or screening what are my options? Okay, right. So to screen a bottom. Well, so you're going to need a, a plant, I suppose, that's going to grow at least six, maybe seven feet high. Um, in blocking a window, a hedge can, can be put in, but also consider putting in maybe an evergreen shrub or a tree. A tree strategically placed, um, you know, right in front of a window, even planted in a group of three in a triangular shape, like uh, silver birch would be very good, or white beam is a very good tree to plant in in a cluster of three, just to, as a kind of a full stop to block a particular view. Um, but also hedging plants, there's lots of mature, you can you can purchase hedging plants right up to five or six feet as instant plants. So you've got things like Portuguese laurel, um, things like the Iliagnus is very good as well with the silver, silver edge, it's, it's quite a good one, particularly in exposed areas. So Portuguese laurel, Grisselinia, if you wish, or common laurel, but it is quite vigorous and it does need a pruning back. So if it's just to block one window, maybe consider a group of trees. Mm. 
plant in a triangular shape together um, and just let them fill that area and it'll block the view. Or else some large evergreen shrubs, things like the Fotinia red robin, large camellias, you know, they'll grow in excess of six or seven feet. Or else some of the traditional hedging plants like Portuguese laurel, but you can purchase those as instant six foot tall plants and it'll create kind of mid, mini hedge. Pampas grass is often good as well. Pampas grass will grow eight, nine feet in height and again it's often used as an internal hedge or screen mm. just to block a view as well. So and it, very little maintenance with I was that. I say that easy enough to grow. Very, very easy and yeah. very tough, very good in exposed open gardens. Okay. Um, it tends to hold its flowers. It flowers in August, September but they tend to remain on the plant right into the spring. It's evergreen it retains its foliage so pampas grass plant maybe five or six plants in a clustered effect and let them grow as a large group and again you're creating that full stop effect for a window so you don't necessarily need to put a big perimeter of hedging around sometimes it's just selectively putting in a couple of plants just to block a view. view. Yeah, rather than blocking off the whole house. Yeah, you don't um, want to limit the light or anything. All of that, yeah. yeah. And, and the, the, so the pampas will be good. Look, there are lots, lots of options pop into your local garden centre, I would say. But remember, you can purchase on many of those plants as mature plants. You're not waiting mm-hmm. five or six years for them to grow. You can get them at a five foot or six foot or seven foot height instantly and, and plant them okay. now and you've got a kind of an instant effect. Okay. Most trees when you get them are in excess of seven feet or maybe eight feet. So straight away they're giving some level of... Of cover. Yeah, yeah. and filtering the view. Pampas grass, that work around an oil tank? It would do. Remember, it's bulky. It grows in diameter, I suppose, about six feet, seven feet in diameter. So it's great to form a kind of a clustered effect, a big clump, as it were. And we often recommend it, say, in open coastal gardens as an internal shelter. So say you want to do a nice rose bed Mm. in a seaside garden, but the wind and the salt damage the roses. If you plant around the perimeter of that bed with pampas grass it acts like a mini hedge or so a mini like a shelter. Layer of insulation, That's really. exactly what it is but you're using it internally in the in the garden so you know r- rather than putting all your shelter on the okay, perimeter yeah. you can actually think about internal screening or internal hedging particularly if you want to protect something on the on the lee side of the wind. Yeah. So pampas grass or formium, I see there's a question in about formium, the New Zealand flax. That's another great plant that will grow anything up to three, two to three metres in height, which again forms a great internal barrier to the wind. So particularly for exposed locations, pampas grass is excellent, formiums are excellent to create that kind of internal um, barrier or shelter and very little maintenance to either of them. I mean, you don't have to be out clipping them, them and keeping them nice and neat them, and tidy. Yeah. You let them, you let them kind of grow, you know, They're flow and let the actual flowers kind come. Kind of designed, I suppose, to move in the wind a little bit. They are actually. indeed. Yeah. And again, plants like that help to cut down on the lawn areas, so it's helping to kind of reduce the overall maintenance in the garden as well. So pampas is a great, is a great plant, particularly if you plant them in kind of fives and sixes. And I mean, if you, we were to put five or six plants, it would fill the studio. Right. That sort of space. That, okay, that gives one a sense. Then. You know, it's quite a large, it'll fill quite a large area and that gives great internal shelter and protection then to a garden. Okay, let's let's stay with those grasses. So let's talk about the formium question. Um, Ellen is wondering about buying and planting the, the New Zealand flax and where can you get it? Well, it's it's very commonly available. Now, it comes in a whole range of different types. Uh, formium tenax is the common New Zealand flax and that was brought really from New Zealand because of its its fibre. The thought that it would it's not actually related to flax, but it, it gets the name New Zealand flax because it's it it um, can be used. The fibres can be used very similar to linen flax, but they're not related. But anyway, the um so the plant is very robust. It's very, very tough. It's got a 
a glossy grass-like foliage, broad foliage. And it's often used as a primary protection in coastal gardens because it'll tolerate salt and it'll tolerate high winds. So you can imagine it grows nearly 10 feet in height. It'll grow about 6 feet in diameter. So it forms this big, thick, evergreen clump which filters the wind, stops the salt and protects plants on the again on the lee side of the garden now so that's the common form formium tenax it's green um, not the most attractive plant but a fantastic barrier but thankfully it has been crossbred with um, the mountain flax and you've got lots of ornamental varieties so there's varieties like um, dazzler as the name suggests it's a dazzling so it's it's kind of uh, shades of red and pink and purple so that sounds very uh yeah, there's some very attractive, and, and because they're evergreen, particularly the ornamental varieties now, uh, Cream Delight is another one. There's loads of different varieties with, with shades of green and yellow in the leaf or green and pink in the leaf. Um, so Formium, the, the smaller varieties are more suited, say, for shrub beds and borders. Um, they tend to have the characteristics of the common variety in that they're relatively hardy, um, but they've gr- great foliage colour. And again, if they're planted in clusters of fives or sevens, they, they look very dramatic. And because they're evergreen, you've got colour 12 months of the year. They don't flower, so they're simply grown for their shape, the, the grass-like foliage mm. and, and the grass, when I say grass-like, I mean, it's about, the, the blades We're are about, about thick, grass thick now, yeah, they're yeah. wide, you know, maybe f- two to three inches in diameter, mm. maybe three feet in length. And most of the plants will grow, you know, between three and four feet in height. So a really nice plant, very easy to grow. So it depends uh, which variety Ellen wants. If it's for hedging and screening, particularly in coastal areas, go for Formium Tenax and any local garden centre. If they don't have it in stock, we'll be able to get you that. Makes a super, super hedge. Great plant to plant, say, as an initial barrier and put more decorative hedge in front of it. So you could plant it on the, the windward side and even on tall, exposed, it doesn't have to be a coastal garden, it can be an elevated, exposed site inland. Put a layer of Formium first and then maybe plant things like fuchsia or uh, Escalonia or some other ornamental hedge which would be a little bit more decorative and, and you're getting that filtering effect from the, from the plant. So they are available, great time to plant them now. They're really, really easy to grow and just pick the variety to suit the location that Ellen wants to put them in. So if the ornamental varieties go for the more decorative, easy, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the shrub varieties as it were, uh, the more colourful varieties and it's for, if it's primarily for shelter and hedging and screening then go for the common one, this common one, Formium 10x. Okay, great stuff. Now, my beech hedge has come, just come into leaf, just yep. wondering about some food for it. And also, what should I treat it with for the bugs that are around at the moment? Okay, and beech, beech is just breaking leaf at the moment. It's normally the May bank holiday when it starts. It's probably a little bit slower this year uh, with the cooler weather. But um, so feeding it, use a, a, a tree and shrub feed. I would use the Osmo Pro 6, about a handful to each plant. And again, with the rain coming on Tuesday, that'll wash it in great and that'll push on the growth. The other thing to keep an eye out for with beech, particularly in the middle of May, towards the end of May, is white aphid, which on young beech in particular, it it will attack them. So if you've got newly planted beech or they're in maybe two or three years, keep an eye out for that. I would advise using a a bug spray. So bug clear or one of the traditional insecticides applied to the foliage when they're out fully in leaf. Mm. Um, That'll help to protect the, the beech because it is slow growing and the aphids do have a, a particularly a, a stunting effect on newly planted beech. Now, if the beech is in six and seven years, don't worry your head about it. You know, it'll be fine. Give it a, give it a, food, a bit of food. That's all it's going to require, unless it gets a very heavy infestation of white Makes aphids. Sense. And you'll see them. They're very evident on the back of the leaf. But my advice is really don't wait. They're there. 
they're actually on the bud since since the autumn. They're actually sitting on the plant waiting for the leaves to come out. So if you've got newly planted beech, as soon as it comes into full leaf in two weeks' time, um, give it a treatment of one of the bug, bugs, bug treatments. Uh, what one did I mention last week that was made from pyrethrum? Um, it's a very safe one. Oh, yeah, PY. PY, P-Y that's it, yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you I remember that, that one. Right. PY. Is, is, yeah. is it a letter or is it a Well, number? use that one. They use yeah. the PY spray because it's very, it's very safe. It's a natural, um, it's made from natural plants and uh, very effective on aphids. Now, love the scent of night-scented stock, but okay. can't get the seed anywhere. All right. Um, so would you know where it might be available? And is now the time, or is the weather still a bit too cold? No, night-scented stock is a hardy annual, and by that we mean it can be sown directly out of doors. If it germinates and we get some frost, it's not going to be damaged. And so, really, um, Sutton's do a very good one, uh, night-scented stock. So... It, it's it's grown because of the, the name kind of tells you I suppose it releases this fantastic fragrance in the evening time so as as the the, the temperatures start to cool down around six seven o'clock in the evening you get this fantastic scent from the plant so it's a lovely plant to have planted along by a walkway under a window somewhere you're going to be walking or maybe sitting at night time mm. it's not the most attractive plant in flower it's got small little pink or whitish flowers but having said that it's the scent is just fantastic so. You get yourself a packet of seeds. Look for uh, Sutton, certainly do it. I'm surprised the listener can't get it because it is readily available. Um, All you do is just rake the soil, chuck on the seed of the night-scented stock, rake the soil over and walk away from it. Maybe give it a watering in this dry weather. Uh, But it'll be up in two weeks, three weeks, and it generally flowers within a six-week period. So if you sow it now, you'll have it by the middle of June. You'll have it for the whole summer. Out where you're barbecuing and sitting out, and oh, that sounds lovely. <laughs> have your night scented and we'll stock. Have the nice balmy weather to go with it. Yeah, so it's not a plant I'd recommend, say, for your window box, or you know, yeah. where you want something very decorative. But it is a plant that you could sow under a windowsill in a border, or maybe around roses, or somewhere or along a pathway or walkway, just for for the lovely scent at night time. Great. Now, a couple of questions in relation to, um, I suppose, uh, things that are, are, are preventing things from growing in the garden. So, so somebody's wondering about stopping birds eating lawn seed and also we have a question regarding um, how to prevent puppy digging up flower beds. All right. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, puppies will do that and young, will. young kittens yeah. will do that as it's well. They hard, hoke, yeah, hoke at, the, at the soil. There are um, scent-off treatments, treatments you can get in a little canister uh, scent off is actually one of them and you just sprinkle around the smell of which they dislike and it helps to dissuade them and they tell me that bottles filled with seven up seven up bottles filled with water have a distracting effect on on uh, both cats and dogs oh, so yeah. you could try that as well but yeah, really it's just I, to I break see, the habit I see that out in, in gardens so th- yeah. there must be some uh, some success with it there must be because I, I remember I was I was actually in Spain last August and the amount of houses that actually had the bottles sitting outside to stop the dogs lifting the leg on the okay and so it, you know, oh, yeah. there you go. So it's it's so it's worth a try it's as well. Try. But it's really just to break the habit. In terms of the birds eating mm. the lawn seed, don't worry too much about that. Unless you've got flocks of birds coming down every morning, removing the seed, um, you, you generally put on enough seed that a small bit of bird activity is not going to have any detrimental effect on the lawn. So unless you're getting heavy infestation of birds, there's no need to really treat the area. So. You know, I, I think you'd be the grass is going to germinate very quickly at this time of year, and the birds are only interested in the seed. Once it germinates, they've no interest in it, and so a small amount, you know, ten or fifteen birds on the lawn is not going to have any to. effect whatsoever. You won't even notice um, that, 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 that they've that been. been there. 
Now, we need your help, Porrick. Hmm. I bought a lot of dahlias, geraniums and begonias and I'm okay. going on holidays next week for eight days. How can I keep them moist? I don't really want to plant them until I get back. Okay, well, first of all, all of those plants are frost sensitive. So whilst you're away on your eight day trip, if we get any frost, they're going to be damaged. So they need to be kept inside. So either in a glasshouse, uh, a porch, somewhere protected inside. Um, the best way is to water them heavily before you leave and sit them on some type of matting. It could be an old piece of carpet. Um, it could be an old um, blanket or old towel. Anything that will hold the moisture. And the plants will, and you can actually have that damp as well. And the plants will absorb the water up from that. But if you give them a good heavy soaking, um, keep them in bright light, obviously, for the whilst you're away, a reasonably good light. So somewhere like a windowsill would be ideal. But sit them on tissue paper or some matting or an old towel. Have that moist and That'll keep them going. It's only eight days, so they're not going to be bone dry when you come home. Okay. That'll keep them moist. But do keep them inside. Now, time to move daffodils. Is now a time to, good, good time to move daffodils, fuchsia and other plants? Okay, so it's a great time to move bulbs in general. So snowdrops, um, daffodils, narcissi, anything in the daffodil family, this is actually the time to move them. Move them in the green, as we always say. So you dig them up now, break them up. Move them in the green? In the green, yeah. As with in the, when they're still a bit green? When the it? green foliage, when you've got the green foliage on daffodils, Ooh. that's the time to transplant them. Um, because you can't see them in the winter. You don't know where they are. You're trying to dig well, them yes, up and trying to true, find them. Yeah. So move them in the green. It also gives you the opportunity of propagating the plants. So you dig up a clump, you split it into three or four pieces and you replant it somewhere else. So it's a great way of moving them out of your way, but it's also a great way propagating them as well or if you have a particularly nice colour that you want to give away to a family or friend or plant somewhere else this is the time to to move daffodils fuchsia has broken leaf so it's in leaf at the moment so it's too late and it's too late in general to start transplanting plants now so as plants come into growth leave them alone now the fuchsia could be slipped as cuttings in July, August sort of period it, re- it readily roots from cutting so short you know, pencil length, pencil mm. thickness in the middle of the summer, they root readily from that All right, once it goes out a leaf in November of this coming year you can transplant the fuchsia as well so leave it where it is, take some cuttings maybe late summer, early autumn and then move the entire plant if you wish next um, November November Okay, great. And somebody actually also had another question during the week uh, in, when I was in conversation uh, so bulb related, tulips <laughs> yeah you get lots of these questions. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I said, I'd refer, I'd refer it on. So I'm referring it on. Um, they were wondering, are there different kinds of tulips that, uh, like, do tulips come back absolutely every year or do no. they, they kind of wither out they over do. a period of time? They do. They're, yeah. they're not like da- daffodils and snowdrops are bulbs that, that just keep, are very prolific. They keep producing new bulblets and keep propagating themselves. Mm. Tulips are a short-lived now, we'll have somebody ringing in and telling us that we had a tulip, a tulip for 10 for years. Year, yeah, yeah. yeah. But in general, tulips are seen as a short-term uh, bulb. I mean, they're fantastic when they're in flower. They've been beautiful this year with the, with the weather that yeah. we've had. But if you get two to three years, the ten, you might plant 50. Yeah. And next year, you'll have 40 flowering. And next year, you know, 30. And they eventually dwindle out. Some of the varieties, like the Darwin tulips, are a lot more vigorous and more robust and easier to grow. And, and you will tend to get maybe four or five years from those. And particularly the stronger colours of reds or purples, the deeper colours tend to last longer. Varieties like, you know, the variegated varieties with variegated foliage, you see them as a kind of maybe a two to three year. Uh, and then, you know, same similar crocuses will be kind of similar. Crocus actually produce a new corm every year as they're growing. But again, over time, they tend to die out a little bit. So some bulbs are short-lived 
and some. some so longer, with tulips, yeah. see them as maybe a two-year, three-year at the most. So you need to be kind of replanting every couple of years to keep the the show of colour. But they're they're, they're fantastic they're, this April. Yeah. They really are stunning. Uh, yeah, and I have seen some gorgeous ones. And, and the, so easy to grow. The, I mean, the query came from, I think they were fabulous last year or the right. year before, and they are starting to, to go. You know, the, 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 I suppose the vibrancy isn't yeah, there. Yeah, and that. that's what you'll yeah. find. Yeah. That's exactly what you find over a number of years to start to wither out and whizzing out. Okay. A regular listener in Claire Morris wondering, what's the name of the scented geranium you talked about last week? It's one called Orange Fizz. So it's got that lovely lemon-scented um, foliage, Orange Fizz. So very easy to grow. A windowsill is a perfect location for it. Nice, bright windowsill. And uh, fantastic scent. And it keeps the old flies, flies. away. Yeah. Yeah, so Are you finding it? It's lovely. <laughs> it got a drop of water during the week. And, well, the key thing and is... And things are ticking along. Yeah, and not to overwater Not too much, yeah, yeah. Don't worry. It won't get dry. that in my okay, house. Yeah. That's fair enough. Um, now, uh, okay, lawns. There's quite a few questions in on okay. lawns and of sure. varying kinds. So I'm going to try and put these together. First of all, what would be the best way to you green up a small back lawn? It's gone very light green, yellowish in colour uh, since mowing it. Uh, a mead listener from Mayo. All Good right. morning to the well. folks in mead. That let's, and I just want to include so another person has got a, quite a lot of black patches on their lawn and they put down some seed but they're not sure um, as to how well that is progressing and okay. then uh, we've used the zero on the lawn last Sunday it worked really well on killing the moss but I noticed some green clover now how do we treat that? Okay so clover is a sign of soil that needs feeding actually because clover is a nitrogen fixator it, it, it actually feeds itself so when you see clover and particularly in dry weather when we get this kind of dry weather in April clover tends to come to the fore um, because the grass isn't growing as strongly as it normally would be so where you see clover present it's a sign that it needs feeding so the listener did the right thing put the zero on it gets rid of the moss follow up now that with a feed of the Osmo lawn feed so that'll green up the lawn it'll help to suppress the clover and if the clover is very strong you can get a specific clover lawn weed killer that Hygieia make so you can actually treat the clover so what I would do is feed it with the Osmo leave it for a week or 10 days for the grass to start to grow and the clover to start to grow and then treat it with the clover treatment if it, if that's appropriate. In terms of the black spots or the black areas mm. um, the, the, when, you're, when you're sowing lawn seed you need to mix it with a little bit of compost or a little bit of peat to give something for the seed to bind into. So normally what I recommend is mixing in a bucket or in, on, in the, the wheelbarrow mix some compost and the lawn seed together, throw it onto the area and brush it in. And that gives something for the seed to penetrate into once it germinates and, and come on. Um, so, and, uh, you know, I think if the listener, the Westport listener in particular, you'll see the grass germinating anyway over the next 10 days um, as things warm up. Um, the, la- the other question was, oh yeah, the, the thin lawn. Thin, yeah, thin. Well, if, it's a, kind of if it's a tiny area, you can get a liquid lawn feed, which you can put out through a watering can, which tends to work very rapidly. So you put it on today, within seven days, then it has greened up the lawns, uh, you know. But generally, if you're cutting lawns, that listener has only, obviously only started cutting the lawn. If, if you let it grow long and cut it, you tend to get that white or yellow butt to the grass. Mm. And with feeding the new grass will tiller, will reshoot at the base and come on. So a liquid feed or else a small box of granulated lawn fertiliser applied to this time of year will help to green it up. And in general, dear, this is the time of year that people need to feed lawns, control the moss, feed the lawns because they're going to be actively growing. 
I planted some flowering trees, sorbus cherries and white beams. What prep do I need to do before planting and how far away from one another should I space them? Okay, we'll space them. They're all, you know, medium. The cherries will grow quite large if it's Prunus Kansan or Charité. So you need to give that plenty of space. Um, white beam is a smaller tree. It, it grows kind of 15, 16 feet in height and nice slender shape to it. So... I would space them at least. The cherries need to be 20 feet away from any other tree. And the other two, one was white beam. What was the other one? Uh, sorbus cherries. Sor- sorbus. So uh, the, the ordinary sorbus, the mountain ash, they could be planted kind of 15 feet. So 15 to 20 feet spacings. Um, really, the soil conditions are important. So dig a relatively large hole, add some compost to the, the plant, add some Osmo Pro 6 as well, fertiliser, and make sure you stake the trees. Too often people put trees in and they, they never think to stake them or tie them securely. So that's important. A good timber stake, two ties on the tree and firm it in well. Give it a good heavy watering and that's it. The other thing I would suggest for most trees when you are planting them is to do a little bit of pruning with them, to shorten back. And generally the garden centres will do this for you. They'll take off maybe 6 or 12 inches of the top shoots of the tree because when you plant them, they're going to be 7 feet tall Mm. and it's kind of impossible to get up at that stage. So before you plant them, just trim them back because that increases the bushiness and the fullness of the plant. So it makes it work a little bit harder, is it, when it goes well, into the ground? Well, if you prune a, a stem of a, of a tree or, or of a plant, you automatically encourage you to produce a minimum of two new branches mm. and often three new branches. So the more branches, it's like the pinching back of the sweet pea. You know, the more you you, you uh, encourage the plant to branch, the more flower and colour you're going to get from the plant. And particularly when trees are young in their formative years, if you give them a, a pruning back um, in early spring, you you tend to increase the amount of timber and bulk and colour from the trees over a longer period. They just tend to have a better shape. Rather than tall and lanky, they're tall and bushy and full. So trim the tops, plant it well, put plenty of compost down with it, some Osmo Pro 6 into the planting hole, stake it, tie it well and then water it heavily. And it's good to go. It's a great time actually for planting trees. And most of them are in leaf now. Lots of them are in flower. So you can actually see see what you're buying in. Roses planted last September, they were growing very strong, but I noticed very little growth in the last two weeks. Do they need feeding? I'd like some colour for June. Well, they will flower for June and the feeding of roses, you feed them once a month. So from March right through till August, you feed them every month. Um, so a handful of fertiliser around the base and rose fertiliser, put on the, the rose uh, clear or the rose rescue as well to keep the bugs off them. Growth has been slow. In the last two weeks, the temperatures have been quite cold. So plants have been galloping up to that point they've slowed down. I mean, you're not cutting your lawn as often as you would normally do in April Mm. because the growth is just, with the cooler temperatures, growth has slowed down. So I'm not surprised with that. But look, you've got a full month of May yet before June and those roses will come into flower. So a handful of fertiliser on the base, put on the bit of rose rescue and they'll be fine. They'll be fine. Uh, Now, into the edible garden, as you said. Uh, So I got great carrot seed last year that wasn't affected affected by the fly. Can't remember the name of it. Would you be able to recommend something? Okay, well, there's there's two varieties that come to mind. One is called Resistifly. Um, So, (laughs) again, it's as the name suggests, it's a particular variety of carrot seed that if you sow the carrot root fly is is not as bad a problem, um, you know. So it's it's, it's certainly more uh, tolerant, and, and uh, the carrot root fly doesn't find it as attractive. So that's a variety called resistor fly. The, there's another variety called Mastro, Mastro, which is in the Sutton's range from memory, and that's again very good for carrot root fly resistance as well. So look for those two varieties. If you again pop in your local garden, it will genuinely 
generally telling you the varieties that are quite good. Now we've got uh, somebody with Swedes and or Swedes and turnips Sorry. going boast okay. in the centre. What's the cause and what's the cure, if any? So the the cause is is they're all in the same family: Swedes, turnips. Um, they're they're susceptible to a thing called boron deficiency. So it's a it's a micronutrient. It's like iron in the body or zinc or any of the micronutrients. Boron, if it's not present in the soil, you will get the turnips will grow absolutely perfect, and then you cut them open and they're hollow or rotted inside. So mm. that's a boron deficiency. If you apply Vitex Q4 that has boron or any fertilizer that has boron added to the in the mix. So Vitex Q4 is very good. It's actually a very good fertilizer for most vegetables anyway. Um, so put that on. Um, you can Even if you've them planted and they're germinating and growing, you can add that. It comes in a liquid form and it comes in a pellet form. So you can add it even though the plants are growing and that will okay. cure that problem. It's actually a very simple thing to cure, but it's a total disaster if if, if, because if of, you don't get it absolutely, in time. Absolutely, because your whole crop has grown perfectly. And, and it's thing, impossible to tell. It's impossible to tell. And when you cut them, you know, obviously then at the latter part of the summer, there's nothing you can do about it. Whereas if you put on the boron, the, the, or the Vitex Q4 now, it has boron in it and it just stops it happening. Okay. Now, I was wondering if you can help. I've planted Brussels sprouts in our sunroom. They grow two inches and then they die off. They go yellow on the edges first before they die off. I've planted two trays and both have died. Any advice, welcome? Well, the first thing I'd say is don't give up. (laughs) Brussels sprouts are very, very simple to sow. That's a a thing called dampening off and it happens to many seedlings. Dampening off? Dampening off. Um, It happens to many seedlings where the rot at the base, it generally is associated with over-watering of the seedlings. And remember, when you have a small little seedling, they need very, very little water. Generally speaking, when the, if you're sowing seed onto compost, the compost should be moist but not too wet. So if you squeeze it really, really tightly, mm. maybe one drop of water will come out of it. It's that kind of consistency um, in terms of, of, of moisture in the compost. So Rosary, rosary um, I won't say dry, but you know, moist compost, sow the seed. I generally cover with cling film then. Leave the cling film on for about seven days. As soon as the seeds start to germinate, remove it and don't water the plants. You know, let the surface of the compost dry out a little bit because if there's lots of moisture there, dampening off is a fungal disease that gets onto the base of the, of the uh, plant. It rots the base of the plant and they just keel over. So they literally grow for about two inches and they just flop over. Um, having said that, Brussels, you have the Brussels, 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 Brussels sprout plants available. Most garden centres will have them as kind of six inch size plants now. So if you want to get them in, um, you know, and, and you know, so try the seed again, but maybe plant some plants as well. Try that variety, Petit Posy that Petit, I mentioned. Yes. That's the that's Petit the ha- Posy. That, that's not quite a Brussels sprout. It's not. A Brussels sprout. It is a Brussels sprout, but it, well, it's been crossed between a kale and a Brussels sprout. So it grows like a Brussels sprout, tall, about four feet high, but it produces these fantastic, like mini kale in the axils of the leaf. So it doesn't produce the hard, round Brussels sprout, but fantastic vegetable for autumn and winter and spring use. Um, Lovely in salads, you can eat it raw, you can cook it, steam it, it cooks very, very quickly. And for people that dislike the really strong flavour of Brussels sprout, it tastes more like a spring cabbage. So it's got the cabbagey kale type flavour, but like a spring cabbage, it's very, very nice. So that's petite posy. You'll get plants available in garden centres at the moment, or you can still sow it from seed. Now, I planted my hanging baskets in window boxes last week, but I forgot to add in the slow-release fertiliser. Right. <laughs> should I redo them or should I use <coughs> other food? No, well, what you can actually do with the slow-release fertiliser is add it, even though they're planted and they're, and they're growing. Um, the, the great thing about slow-release fertiliser is that it w- it's not caustic. It won't burn the plants. So even if you 
sprinkle it on the top of the surface of, the, of your window box. It's not going to damage the plants that you've already planted. So you're quite safe to, you know, take about an egg cup full and sprinkle that and work it in just to the top half inch of the compost. Mm. So don't start taking plants out. Leave them there. Just sprinkle it along the surface. Uh, rake it in with your fingers and that's fine. It'll be perfectly okay. It won't damage the plants and it'll work over a... Slowly fertilizer generally feeds the plants for at least uh, a six to you know two month period, so it's great. And you can always use a little bit of liquid feed as well during the growing season. But it. there's no danger in adding it afterwards. Okay. Um, what can I do about new nettles at the moment? What would you like to do with them? You know that you can <laughs> call. Yeah, well, that's it. I was going to say that, that you can use them for lots of different purposes. They're actually really, really good for you. And they make a great insecticide as well. If you take the and fertilizer. And fertiliser. So nettles mm. have lots of use. It is, yeah. I've had nettle soup has been made in our house before. Ah, there you go. There you go. I hope I'm not giving anyone ideas. <laughs> so, but yeah, so, but nettles too growing in, in ground is a sign that the soil is very fertile. So you won't get nettles growing in, in poor, harsh ground. They're, they're a plant of good pasture land or good land. So generally when they're present, it's actually a, so, a sign that you have very, very good soil. That's if they're growing really well and they're strong and so on. Mm. So depending on what the listener wants to do, if I, I presume they want to get rid of them. And if you want to get rid of them, then you use one of the proprietary treatments. Because the nettle has a hair on it, on the, on the actual, it's got a downy surface right on the, the top. It's a bit stings there, I think, is it? It is. And, and that sometimes prevents some of the weed killers getting down on the actual leaf itself. So my advice is if you're using a traditional weed killer for nettles, something like the SPK would work very well. Mix some washing up liquid into the mix and that kind of gets it to surpass the, the, that downy area and, and right, gets it right onto the leaf. Um, and that can be done. But do, do remember they are a, a great sign that the soil is... You've actually got good fertile soil where you have nettles growing. So, sow something in it. Yeah, and they can be used, as you say, for different purposes, but I presume the listener just wants to get rid of yeah. them. <laughs> it sounds like that the anyway. Nettles, the nettle soup isn't the worst thing in the world, let go. me tell you. you uh, any cheap, effective way of getting rid of old Sally tree roots? I cut them and they're, uh, and they're now putting out new shoots. Somebody suggested hammering copper nails into the roots. I don't think that's going to what be very you, effective, what would you to be suggest? quite honest. Gosh, that sounds very extreme. You, maybe they're trying to rust the uh, the boreal willow. Maybe. But, so sallies are willows, mm. and willows like ash and like many other trees, if you cut them to ground level, they just regrow again, they re-sprout again. Um, willow, you know, the basket willow that's used for making baskets, they, they have a terminology called coppicing which is the cutting back of the sally. It produces lots and lots of rods of new stems and they do that every year. So yeah. willow is a, a typical plant that if you just cut it back, it regrows again. Now, having said that, um, if the listener wants to get rid of them, you can treat it with the SBK would work very well. And because they've come into new growth, if you, if you spray that growth with the SBK, it'll kill the plant stone dead. So, um, yeah, so I think the listener has actually done the right thing. Cutting them back, it is encouraging new growth. And once the growth is about a foot in height, put on a, a treatment like the SBK and that will kill them off, kill okay. the stuff. It's a, SBK is a um, brushwood killer. Brushwood killer. So it's very effective on things like, like willows and little saplings, things like that that are growing. Okay. We have a listener who's wondering, is kale hard to grow? Uh, they've seen it being used on cook in cooking. It looks like okay. a great vegetable. Uh, so would you have a bit of advice on kale? Well, it's it's one of the easiest of all. Um, it's, it's mainly used kind of winter, spring. So you, you plant it at this time of year, a bit like our Brussels sprout. Um, so if you plant it now, you use it generally from October through to kind 
of April is generally the kale um, harvesting time. And there's a whole range of different varieties in them. It's in the cabbage family. It's actually easier than cabbage to grow. Very, very tough. So you can sow it from seed now. There's a lovely variety called Black Knight, which has really dark green, black foliage colour. But it comes a whole range of different um, varieties and uh, good time to sow the seed. The plants are available at the moment and really you're planting a plant for more autumn, winter, spring use than, than summer use. Now, you can use the leaves during the summer but the flavour is far, far better if kale gets a bit of frost and a bit of hard weather. Um, it tends to, to, to put better flavour in it. So it's very simple to grow. Um, sow it from seed. Now, you can sow the seed directly out of doors so you can start them off in trays mm. indoors or the plants are available. They're about seven or eight inches high now. Plant them out now. They'll grow during the summer and you'll harvest the kale all winter. Okay. The more you pick it, the more it produces. And very briefly and quickly, mm. uh, what to mix with roses in rose beds to replace failed old roses? It's an exposed site. Well, if you're adding new roses in, be careful. Roses... Uh, where they've died they, they, they leave some of the roots behind and that can cause a disease called rose sickness if you just plant another rose in it, into it so you can either remove some of the soil before planting or you can plant you can use a um, there's a special uh, granulated f- um, fungi that you can actually add to the soil it's, it's in available in garden centres mm. at the moment you add it to it it stops this rose sickness if you're planting a new rose into it so you can add more roses in if you wish great time to plant them or you could put in some mixed shrubs lavender would be quite nice or maybe some small shrubs around the base of the roses okay we have to leave it there I'm afraid you're okay. on your bike literally. I get on my bike now and, and uh, 100k to look forward Whoa, to <laughs> he said it <laughs> so I hope to be I hope the very to, best of luck and I hope to be here next, w- next week yeah I'm sure you will yeah yeah there you go <laughs> alright to everybody taking part today the very best of luck indeed do stand by Michael Neary is live in Castle Bar so he'll be bringing you all the very latest uh, from the Mayo Day and the Pink Ribbon Cycle uh, after the news at 10, which is on the way next. I'm back next Saturday. Until then, have yourselves a fantastic bank holiday weekend.